saw the light on the road to Damascus, literally. His conversion was a very dramatic experience. The light, the voice from heaven, the visit of Ananias, the baptism. And most of us tend to think that Saul became the great Apostle Paul on the spot. But he didn't. Now, he became a Christian in Damascus. His eyes were opened. He found the forgiveness of sins. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. But Saul had a lot to learn before God could use him as a great apostle and missionary. In fact, it was a number of years after his conversion that Paul began his famous missionary journeys. And during those intervening years, God had a lot to teach this fiery zealot. And the fundamental lesson he had to learn was to do things God's way. You see, like Frank Sinatra, Saul had a problem of wanting to do things his way. Not that what he wanted to do was wrong. He wanted to win the world for Christ. But he wanted to do so on his terms, the way he thought best. So God had to break him and humble him before he could use him. And sad to say, a lot of Christians quit witnessing. And a lot of preachers drop out of the ministry because they never learn this very important lesson. In Bible college, we were challenged to win the world in our generation. We were trained in the scriptures and the mechanics of ministry and how to win the world, and then we were sent out. The problem is, too many assumed that it was now all up to them. They decided how to do it and took off full steam ahead. Look out world, here I come. They even got the idea that God couldn't do it without them. And their ideas, and their programs. Seldom did they sit back and say, God, I'm yours. Use me. Any way you see fit, I'm available. They said, here I am, God, and this is what I'm going to do for you. You know, I had a friend like that in school. By his sophomore year, he had decided he was going to Mexico as a missionary and interned there during the summer. By the end of his junior year, he had decided that Indonesia was the place he would serve God. During his senior year, he discovered the inner city and started spending his weekends there. Within a year of graduation, he'd given up. Things didn't go as he had planned, and he dropped out of the ministry. Well, Saul started out with a similar problem, but he learned his lesson. And learned it in time, and God was able to use him. 
Now, if all this is news to you, it's because it's kind of hard to ferret out the details of Paul's life. Luke's account in Acts is but a very brief history with highlights. It's not a full biography of the life of Paul. And besides, Luke may have overlooked some of Paul's faults because they were such good friends. Paul fills us in on some of the shadier details of his life in his letters. So we've got to pull pieces together if we want the whole story. Well, let's see if we can't get a better picture of what really happened to Saul after his conversion before God could use him as the greatest missionary of all time. We're in Acts chapter 9, starting with the second half of verse 19. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? After his conversion, Saul began immediately to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God. He entered the synagogues that he had intended to rid of Christians and began proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God, hoping to make more Christians. The people were amazed. They knew why he had come to Damascus. Something had happened to Saul. He had changed dramatically. And his witness at this point was good. It was a good, solid witness. Saul was simply sharing what he had discovered. He was demonstrating the change in his life that had resulted from an encounter with Jesus Christ. He was sharing his newfound conviction that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. But then something happened to his witness. We notice it in verse 22. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Saul's witness changed from simple testimony that Jesus is God's son to open confrontation and debate with the Jews. He began confounding them proving that Jesus was the Christ, but not convincing them. What happened? Well, I believe something happened between verses 21 and 22 that isn't recorded here. Something that changed his form of witnessing and emphasis, and apparently it happened in Arabia. Paul tells of his visit to Arabia in Galatians 1, 15 through 17. (coughs) But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. 
Now Luke tells us immediately after his conversion, Saul began telling everyone that Jesus was the Son of God. But apparently, after a few days, Saul found it necessary to square all this with what he had been taught as a Pharisee. So taking the scriptures under arm, he went off to the desert to study, to reflect on what had happened to him. And as he began to read with eyes wide open, he found Jesus all through the Old Testament, in the prophets, the Psalms, even the law. Everything he read pointed to Jesus. As these truths flooded his mind, Saul apparently began to question what Ananias had told him. He began to reason that since he had had the finest of Jewish education and had been a member, apparently, of the Sanhedrin and knew the Old Testament inside and out that God's first priority for him was to convert the nation of Israel. After all, who was better equipped for for the job than he? So he went back to Damascus, confident, knowledgeable, eager to prove to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. With the power of his intellect and his background, he was going to convince those unenlightened and like he had once been stubborn Jews. So back he went and proved from the scriptures that Jesus was in fact the Christ. He won the battle, but he lost the war. He won the arguments, but converted very few, if any. He thought he had what it took. But in spite of his tremendous dedication, in spite of the skilled, knowledgeable arguments he employed, in spite of all his efforts, the Jews remained locked in stubborn, obstinate unbelief. In fact, the situation became worse. And he was in... to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. And they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. (laughs) What humiliation. Here he was, equipped to win the day for Jesus. He had what it took. And was about to take the world by storm, but he found himself humiliated, rejected, and threatened. His friends even had to sneak him out of town, over the wall, in a basket. He was literally a basket case. (laughs) The amazing thing, however, is that many years later, when writing to the Corinthians, Paul would boast of this as one of his greatest accomplishments. Why? Because he had started to learn a very important lesson that night. He began to understand that God did not need his abilities nearly as much as he needed his availability. He needed the man more than he needed his background, his ancestry. 
or education. In fact, God didn't need any of those things because he was going to send Paul to the Gentiles, not to the Jews, for whom Paul thought himself so well equipped. Saul was starting to learn that without allowing Christ to call the shots, he would miss the mark. And when he did things his way, he was bound to fail. Paul was starting to learn this. It's a hard lesson to learn. It's tough to die to pride. And so we find him still struggling with it as he goes on to Jerusalem, verses 26 through 29. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, <clears throat> moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. <laughs> but they were attempting to put him to death. <laughs> Same story. Different location. Saul goes to Jerusalem, still aflame, still thinking he can win the Jews to Jesus. Still trying to argue men into salvation. Still thinking he can convince them by the power of his intellect that the gospel is true. And that he can win them to Christ. But he offends everyone. And puts everyone on the defensive. Even the apostles want nothing to do with him. Until Barnabas befriends him and vouches for him. Now from Galatians, we learn that he only stayed in Jerusalem 15 days. But in those two weeks, he apparently argued with every Jew he could find. And his debating had the same effect it had in Damascus. They tried to kill him. They didn't want him there. And neither did the Lord. We discover that in Acts 22. And it came about when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. The Lord appeared to Saul and told him to get out of town because they weren't going to listen to him. But Saul even argued with the Lord. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in thee. And when the blood of thy witness Stephen was being shed, I was standing by approving and watching out for the cloaks of those who were slaying him. Lord, don't you seem to realize who I am? I'm the right man for the job. This is Jerusalem. These people are Jews. They'll listen to me. 
They can't help but believe when they hear it from me. And he said to me, go, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Sorry, Saul, you don't understand. I'm not sending you to the Jews. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. You're doing what you want, what you think best, not what I want. Get out of town. Even then, he didn't go of his own accord. But he really needed time to mellow out. Verse 30. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Now, when we first read the narrative here in Acts 9, we get the idea that, that Saul had a great ministry in Damascus, in Jerusalem. He was proclaiming Jesus as God's Son, speaking out boldly, winning arguments, confounding everyone. But then Luke notes that it was only after they got rid of Saul and shipped him back home to Tarsus that the church enjoyed peace and was built up. <laughs> now, that doesn't make sense until you know the rest of the story, until you piece together all the details. Then it makes sense. Here we have a young Christian in all the eager zeal of the flesh, trying to do what he thinks God wants done, but who ends up causing problems and actually becoming a hindrance to the gospel. And I'm afraid many of us do that, at least initially. We have a hard time distinguishing be what, between what we want to do for God and what God wants to do through us. We set the agenda and then strive to meet it. Our intentions are good. We want to please the Lord. We want to give Him our all. But what we think best is not necessarily what He wants. And what we bring to the table may or may not be what he wants to use. And we offer to him our all, including our abilities and our strengths. But we fail to understand that he may choose to work through our weaknesses and shortcomings. For as Paul would grow to understand, it's when we are weak and we know we're weak, that we depend the most on his strength. It's when we learn that we cannot stand on our own two feet that we humble ourselves and go to our knees. And that's when God 
can really use us. That's when his spirit can take over and empower us. You know, when we have too much confidence in ourselves and in our own abilities, we tend to become arrogant. And arrogance, quite frankly, turns people off. Even if we have the right answers, they won't listen to us. And it's when we think we can handle things in our own strength that we generally make a mess of things. Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane is a case in point. Forgetting that Jesus was there in charge of the situation, he drew his sword and slashed away. And all he did was chop off an ear. More often than not, that's all we accomplish. When we try to defend Jesus with our abilities and the strength of our intellect, it's only the grace of God that heals those wounded ears and gives us another chance to speak the truth in love, directed by His Spirit. It's a hard lesson, a hard lesson to learn. But Saul finally learned it. After seven to ten years at home, thinking, meditating, learning to share Christ through love and not through confrontation, and maybe even being instructed by Christ himself, Saul was ready to begin the ministry to which Christ had called him. So Barnabas went to Tarsus looking for Saul and took him to Antioch, where, more sensitive to the Lord's leading, and fully surrendered to his will, he began a mighty power, a mighty career in the power of the Holy Spirit, manifesting the life of Christ in a way that changed the world. He had learned his lesson well and could later write to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. On those terms, Paul shook the world. And so might we. But we're not going to be successful leading others to the cross until we die to self and be crucified with Christ. Until we give up trying to do things our way and start doing things his way. Again, we so want to be effective. We so want to please our Lord. But sometimes we forget to back off a little. Let his spirit empower us. Let his spirit direct us. 
Let him set before us opportunities that we would never look for on our own. We're called to serve the Lord. We've responded to the call. Sometimes we still want to stay in charge. We live in a world that stresses the value of leadership and vision casting and all those things. Sometimes I think we forget that the vision's already been cast. And the leader we follow gave himself on a cross for us. The way of the cross leads home for us and for others. That's the way we must walk.